0: You know, I, I do love, because I love the church, again, I get to, Hebrews 10, 24, I get to provoke it to love and good deeds, but I think right now we're in a season when churches are saying, what are we going to do differently? It's a good time to be serving the Lord.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our guest today is the president of LifeWay Research, Ed Stetzer, and you'll hear today's interview in just a few moments. Anytime you'd like to listen to a first-person interview a second time or invite someone else to listen, you can visit our archive on the website firstpersoninterview.com. Just click on the Listen button for access to the list of previous conversations at firstpersoninterview.com. And then we always welcome your comments, which you can post at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Once again, facebook.com slash interview Well, in addition to his role as president of Lifeway Research in Nashville, today's guest, Ed Stetzer, is also a contributing editor at Christianity Today and a columnist at Outreach Magazine. He is a visiting professor at a couple of respected seminaries and somehow in his spare time serves as lead pastor of a church near Nashville. He holds two master's degrees and two doctorates and has written extensively about church planting, missiology, leadership, and discipleship. Ed came to my local church recently to speak on a Sunday morning, and afterwards we met and began to talk about the many hats he wears, including that of a pastor. I volunteer about ten hours a
0: week of my time, and I'm the lead pastor of a church. I'm a volunteer. I'm unpaid, but um, I just think you can't lead what you don't live. And so, if I'm going to go around encouraging people to live on mission and to be churches that are evangelistic and focused on you know global missions, I need to be involved in one myself. And so. So I'm pastor. I have a great team. So that that's what makes it work. We have a great team there. And you've planted other churches through. The I have. I have my my background was a church planner. I planted churches in New York and Pennsylvania,
1: and Georgia, and then uh, later became a researcher. Did a PhD, and that's been my focus for a while.
0: Hmm.
1: We'll talk more about your calling, but I want to hear your story. Yeah, I want to hear. I I know just bits and pieces. Uh, largely through the sermon you preached today, you, sure. you said that you came to Christ in 1977. What were the circumstances? You
0: got, wow, you remember the date. Well, um, I was, it started with my sister who rode a bus to a, a little church on Long Island in New York City. Uh, I grew up in, uh, my family's all from New York City. My, cop, my uncles were New York City cops, and my grandfather was a fire battalion chief, an Irish Catholic, you know, working class family. And, um, we didn't go to church much except Christmas and Easter. We were Irish Catholic. But my sister rode a bus to a little church in a town next to us called Westbury. And there she heard the gospel. And it impacted my mother, who later became a believer. And then I guess I'm trying to remember how many years it would be. I guess maybe two years between what my sister did and when I did. And then I became uh, became a Christian on August thirteenth, nineteen seventy seven. And so you're uh, just, one of those guys that can name the date. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I, I mean, I actually went back and later looked at the date because I knew it was a Friday night, and it was this this, Wait, this Friday retreat. the thirteenth. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was <laughs> indeed. Um, and so so you know that that's the day. Oh, I might have been th- is Thursday or Friday? I knew I knew it was. I, I went back and did the date from the a camp that I okay. was at. Right, I I won't my hold you my to mom it. made me go to a camp, and that's and and uh, that's where I heard the gospel. Yeah,
1: but how did your family feel about that?
0: Well, I. I would say it, it was actually rather divisive in my family. To be perfectly honest, uh, a lot of my family aren't believers. Some of my family are believers, and um, I, I think that divisive might divisive. the wrong word, but certainly it made a difference that some were followers of Christ, some were not. Yeah. And so there, to this day, most of the people in my family are not Christians, and uh, and, and you know still gives the opportunity. we close, but still has got opportunity to share the gospel. And to uh, really hope and pray that there'll be a, a response to the to the good news. So even though they may have been unsettled, I mean the bond is still there. You're still family. Oh yeah, yeah, no question, no question. We just had a family reunion. Um, it's interesting to see too that my my uncles become a, a follower of Christ, and that's just neat, just random, unconnected to anything related to my fa- my immediate family. So the Lord's still at work. But I've never gotten over being from a family that was unchurched and mm. not believing, and that's one of the reasons I have such a passion. For evangelism and church planting, hmm. and because, I, I again, I'm first generation believer in a sense. You were one of those guys. Yeah, yeah.
1: You were one of those guys that yeah. needed to be reached. Yep, very understandable. Well, what was it like growing up in on Long Island, New York? Um, I mean, most of us, um, you know, are far from the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually end up here one way. or Yeah, another.
0: well, you know, you know, New York uh, at the time in the '70s was kind of not in the best place. Mm-hmm. You know, we go to Times Square today, and it's this huge, you know, disnified <laughs> thing. And you know, when I was a kid, it was a, it was a, you know, porn, pornography yeah, and drugs. I remember those days too. And when I lived on Long Island, you know, Levittown was sort of, you know, and, and now it's funny because now, now it's all gentrified, and the houses <laughs> are seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for these little twelve hundred square foot homes. <laughs> when I lived there, it was kind of the hood, um, and. And so that's the way and the where I grew up, and and so you know we, we didn't necessarily have you know strong values, uh, and maybe others did. I, I'm not saying others did because you know I mean Levittown has spawned some famous people, Billy Joel and, and Bill O'Reilly, and of some course, others yeah. have all claimed to be from Levittown. But you know the you know for me, I, I I just grew up in a in an environment that in the late '70s New York City was a very depressing place, hmm. and I still remember that.
1: Yeah. Were you drawn to the city at all? No, or no, you- no,
0: no. I mean I, that's just where we lived. That's where we live, okay. and we took we took the uh, train, you know, take the Long Island Railroad in. Mm-hmm. My dad, you know, my dad helped build the World Trade Center. My grandfather was a fire battalion chief down in Manhattan. So, so we'd go there. But by and large, for us, you know, the the the, the I mean, the city that people think of today, the kind of the cool, affluent New York City, just didn't exist in 1977. Mm-hmm. I mean, people wanted to get out. Crime was rampant. Um, and so we did, so we we actually, when my dad couldn't find work, he was a union iron lather, uh, you know, the guys that put the steel in the concrete uh, before as was poured, he couldn't find a job and so so, like everyone else, I mean we just kind of bailed out new york city was was shrinking and dying, and it's neat to see what's happened now, but you know, we were working class blue collar the working class blue collar now is not irish you know it's it's yeah. it's, it's 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 really internationalized right. Um, so, so we moved down and actually for me, I didn't become a believer in New York. My, my sister did. And then, and then subsequently my mother, but I actually became a believer when we had just relocated to Florida. All right. And so as a teen, I lived in, in Florida, met my wife there, high school sweethearts, all that kind of stuff.
1: Really? Yeah. 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 Tell me more about
0: her. Well, she's from Canada. And she 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 moved down. Her father was always trying to look for a great business opportunity, and and I had the opportunity to pray to, with him for just Christ um, years ago. Actually, near near his death, he, he had a terminal illness. But um, but she moved down to Florida, and we met in high school. We were high school sweethearts. Started dating when we were sixteen. I actually have told people for years we started dating when we were fifteen. She said it's sixteen. So it appears I thought we were dating longer than she thought we were dating. I guess that's stalking, but but um. But so so um, so, and I first met her at a Bible study. I was leaving leading in high school, and she came in, uh, left early, and she went to go to softball practice. And I said, I got to get to know that girl. And uh, four or five years later, depending on how you count, um, we were married at twenty. We went to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, to plant our first church among the urban poor. Boy. and we've had a great great journey together. I love uh, I love that Donna Stetzer. Sounds fabulous. So you were one of those teenagers
1: leading Bible studies after your conversion. Huh?
0: Well, I was, I was, and, I, and certainly not without you know other years of my life I needed to work on but you know I I had a youth volunteer in the church um his name was Steve Morgan he worked in insurance and he he gave me a book to read early on and the first christian book i remember reading he had he had for us to share together was a book by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was oh, called yeah. "The Cost of Discipleship." Mm-hmm. So as a teenager, I was reading this, and I, and and I just was challenged. Well, you jumped right to the. Well, you know, I think if kids can learn algebra, you know, they can they can learn some theology. And so I think we don't want to buy into low expectations. Maybe I didn't know any better, but I, I just think we need to challenge challenge students more. I try to do that with my own kids, but um, but yeah, so that's I kind of began that that discipleship journey.
1: Was there ever a period, maybe not, since you uh, came to Christ, uh, at maybe the first in your family? But was there a time when you kind of took a half a step back and said, "Do I really believe this stuff?"
0: You know, people. It's funny. I totally think that's a legitimate thing that people do. I anticipate my own children will have to find and be sure that the faith is their own. But I, I don't really know that I had that. You know i i sort of uh, I sort of jumped in and. You know, it was, you know, I, I, though I didn't prepare to, I wasn't planning to be a pastor or a researcher later. I, my undergraduate degree in college was in biology and chemistry. I was going to be a doctor. Um, but, but all throughout that, I man, I just, I, I just, even as a doctor, I wanted to be a, a missionary doctor. And, and so that was preparing to go into a program that would do that. So for me, I guess I always just was struck by the fact that how much Jesus changed. And, and redirected and fulfilled, and so I, I guess I never went through a, a long season of time. I mean, all, I, you know like, like you like me, we all have these questions and tests of time, but never went through a season where that was a major issue
1: in my yeah, life. You never rebelled, so to
0: speak. not so much. I, I think in a lot of ways, my rebellion was was probably to the rest of my family. I, here I was an evangelical believer, a Protestant, you know, remember an Irish Catholic family. And so maybe that was rebellion enough. I don't know. <laughs> You'd had that part. Of yeah, the exactly. Life, uh, that was it. Yeah.
1: Understood. Okay. So, but you you were pretty serious academically. I mean, to go on and get the degrees that you've gotten, um, did that happen right away or did that no, take some time? No, 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 time? not at all. I
0: graduated high school with a D average.
1: Boy, really? um, well, that's, barely... that's giving some people some courage <laughs> right now. <laughs> well,
0: you know, Ds get degrees. Um, <laughs> and I barely graduated high school. And later on, I would get more serious and then start doing graduate work and, you know, and eventually earn PhD, but but that was, uh, I was really an underachiever yeah.
1: um, in, in school. Was ministry your goal even then? No,
0: no, no, no. It was, uh, Donna, even in high school, always thought that I would be a pastor. But I, I sort of, to be perfectly honest, I, I looked at pastors and I, I, I kind of thought that they were maybe, maybe they were underachievers. And I had to kind of, I looked down on pastors, to be mm-hmm. honest, because mm-hmm. I'm like, why don't you go get something real, do a real job? And then ironically, I would become a pastor. Um, but so for me, I wanted to be a doctor. That seemed like something smart people would do. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, too, first, I wasn't that smart. And second, God's calling on my life was pastoring and then eventually researching to help pastors. Who were some of your
1: heroes when you were growing up then?
0: Like personally or, or from personally, a distance? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Steve Morgan was one of them. Yeah, it's funny. If you look at my wedding pictures, um, it's, you know, all the bridesmaids are 18, 19, 20, whatever we were, were, and then all the groomsmen are, you know, 19 and 20, except for this 42-year-old man. <laughs> um, and it's sort of funny, you know, so, but, and he wasn't that old, but but he just sort of, he was a mentor to me. He actually drove my wife and I on our second date because I didn't have a driver's license. And he just, he, a wonderful man of God. I mean, you've probably never heard of him you wouldn't have heard of him but he was one of those people that I hope that our churches are filled with who will invest in people and invest in young and students as I as I was. Isn't it great to know there are people like that well, I, and to I have so. been mentored uh unofficially by people Yeah like yeah that. you know I just I just spoke um about 3 or 4 days ago at a conference called the D6 conference a big conference on next generation you know students and all that kind of stuff and one of the things I shared was from our LifeWay research data that there are four factors that, when taken together, are the most predictive that someone won't drop out of church. You know, one of those four is someone other than the parents. Now, the parents are one of the four, but one of the four is someone other than the parents invested in the lives of students. And I was blessed to have not just people i got like that, but Steve and Mark. I can name several of them, two Steves, actually. And, and I think, ultimately, I, I want to encourage
1: churches to be filled with people like that. We'll talk more with today's guest, Ed Stetzer, the president of LifeWay Research, coming up today on First Person. Next week, we'll introduce you to a man who believes strongly that God has a plan and destiny for everyone. Our job is to find that purpose and despite the obstacles, bring glory to God through it. Businessman Jim Jans, the author of A Rendezvous with Destiny, will tell us his story and share principles for making the most of your life. The reason you are on earth in the first place. Next time on First Person. My guest this week is Ed Stetzer, who is president of LifeWay Research. We talked just a little bit about that, but for the uninitiated, Ed, tell me about what that's about. Well, you know, we, we,
0: we're we a research firm, an evangelical research firm. We research uh, culture to kind of understand how churches can best engage the culture. And so when we do culture research, you know, it's been, we've been on the front page of USA Today, I guess, six, or seven times with different research projects. You know, CNN's ran some, ran some of our research just recently a couple times, um, Talked about at different places, and so we do research on culture, but then also on churches. So we want to help churches do more effective ministry and mission. You know,
1: mobilize their people, make wise decisions, those sorts of things. Can you give me a little synopsis of something recently you've discovered through research that you think, uh, boy, yeah, that's you, that's, a, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, fact. we recently did a research project on how churches deal with uh, mental illness. You know, and so so this has become a major major issue. And so what we found is is that uh, there's a significant perception that well first churches would be a welcoming place for people who struggle with mental illness which i thought was great news yeah, of the vast course, majority this is said that during the time that. of rick warren's right son's sure step, right after this. Yeah. and actually we released the research just um happened to have it finished um you know providentially just about the same time the interview came on uh, the pierce morgan program so so we we got kind of in the middle of a conversation rick rick and i are friends and so some of that data was released so so again i think churches what we found is that people think churches would be welcoming places um, churches, I think, are unsure often how to deal with persons who struggle with mental mm-hmm. illness. There's a certain sense that, you know, should we just, uh, you know, pray, or or is there subsequent actions that we take, counseling, uh, you know, what, what about medication? So we looked at those things and, and really hope to help inform the church. We'd like to have the church be a, a more effective partner in that one area of dealing and helping with persons who struggle with mental illness. But there's all kinds of things. We're about to release some things on how churches view immigration in the midst of this this t- discussion. This is going to be a political discussion
1: Sounds again. Very helpful. You know, what do pastors say? Yeah. So we,
0: we we help with that.
1: Yeah, in my little corner of the world in radio, for many many years, we struggled with research. You know, we also we wanted to do it, but nobody could afford it. And I think radio stations and, and networks are doing a better job these days in researching their audience and. Meeting the needs of audience, but it's it's not easy. I mean, you, you have to be serious about it to do it right.
0: Yeah, it's not something you just kind of plug into a web page or something. There is some intentionality. We're we're doing a research project now with uh, with you know one one of the one of the people one of the organizations you work with in radio, and you're really just helping them ask the question: Are we helping people to take the next step spiritually, and, mm-hmm. and how do we measure
1: that, and what does that look like? Oh, I'm I did not know that. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear we're that excited. because I was always I always had a problem with you know the old Arbitron system. <laughs> uh, the old Arbitron system was, you know, how many people are listening at and at how many in a quarter hour, instead of. What difference yeah, are you making right. in that person's life? Don't tell me how many people are listening. How deep are you going? That's to right. Well, you know, one
0: of the, the there's its often credited with Winston Churchill having said, "However beautiful the strategy, it's occasionally helpful to look at the results." <laughs> and so, what we what we try to do is, in this case, you know, help them. with This radio network—we're helping them look at the results. Are 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 their listeners indicating they're making spiritual progress? If not, we're just kind of you know spinning our metaphorical wheels, but we really want to see people make progress. And we do that with churches. We Actually, we use something called the Transformational Discipleship Assessment, which is also the tool we're using to help this radio network. But it kind of looks at where where are where are we spiritually? What progress are we making? And churches then kind of roll up to the hole and see how they're doing. And so, you know, at the end of the day, again, our our desire is is we want to provoke people to love and good deeds. You know, Hebrews ten twenty four, and we do that by helping
1: them know where they are and how to grow from there. Yeah, so. All your academic work, you must have uh, gotten pretty deeply involved in stat, uh, statistics, stats, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, do or do you rely on others to sort well, all we, that both, out?
0: Well, the answer is both. I, I have people way smarter than me, but you know, my PhD is in a field called missiology, and my dissertation was in a st- using a statistical tools to kind of track the efficacy of certain strategies. But we have a really great team at Lifeway Research of, I'm uh, right in the process of hiring another statistician um, who can you really help us to crunch those numbers, do the t tests, look at the regression analyses. <laughs> Things that at the end of the day huh? I don't want to be doing exactly, well, you know, it's like what's a p value, but but you know I have to know those things because I have to be able to present to sure. communicate those things. Yeah. But people way smarter than me actually yeah. run and,
1: and and do the analyses. Well, that's the big picture, and believe me, it is much appreciated, and I know Thank it's you, making man. a difference. Uh, but I, but I know how much work it is too. So let's get down to the smaller picture. Your love for the church and for the pastor of that church. I mean, you work with big churches and small churches. Talk about that that pastor out there who's really just. You know, doing the Lord's will and uh, seemingly not noticed by anybody. Well,
0: you know, I think outside my, my local church, which I, you know, love and I volunteer and I serve, I think my primary ministry, what I do day to day is I minister to pastors and to pastors through, to churches through pastors. And I, and I do think, you know, we hear these statistics that pastors are lonely and miserable, and I think ministry hurts their family. So we, being a research firm, did this crazy thing, and we actually asked them and they're actually not they're actually not miserable they don't think ministry is hurting their family uh you know maybe they, i think they sort of maybe like they say those statistics that they say well they don't apply to me but other pastors yeah. are yeah i have a friend <laughs> yeah exactly I have a friend who's really miserable. but you know here's the but here's the thing here's the thing is that you know i don't know that this is a more important job in the world you know ephesians three ten says god has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom it's the tool the instrument the vessel For God's agenda in the world, and and God has has gifted us with pastors who help lead churches and equip churches and lay down their lives for churches. So for me, I love pastors and I appreciate pastors. I, I want churches to love and appreciate their pastor as well. It's not an easy job. You know, if you don't have ten percent of the church mad at you in any given time, you're probably not doing anything. If you have seventy percent of the church mad at you, you may be doing too much. But you want to lead and encourage and equip so that God's people can engage in God's work. And we expect them to be everything to everybody. Well, it is. It is a lot. I mean, there are a lot of expectations. And you know, having been a pastor for gosh, how long was I a pastor before I became a professor? I became a professor. Da, da, da. So I guess about fifteen years I was a pastor before I became a seminary professor. Um, and 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 I will tell you. I, and still, pastor now, because I, and I love being a pastor now. Because when I talk to pastors, I still have someone on the third row who talks to me during the service, and not really sometimes about what I'm saying. You know, not not like agreeing, but you know. And I still have people get mad at me, and I still have strange people sometimes come up afterwards and say things, and so I, it helps me keep it real. But I just think pastors. I think we can pray for pastors. We can encourage pastors. But ultimately, what I want to try to do is to serve pastors through. Through our research, through our training, through the books we write, things of that sort. Take a moment and tell me about the
1: relevance of the church in this culture.
0: Yeah, well, I think, I think first of all, the church is... A lot of bad statistics are floating around. For example, people say, the church is dying. There is not one single researcher... A real researcher, serious researcher who thinks the church is dying. You're about one. North America? Or yeah, North world? America. Around the world, the church is booming. Is yeah, I know that's right, the case. Right? But, but even in North America, uh, and yet we hear these breathless reports the church is dying. Nobody thinks that. No serious researcher thinks that. Um, now, mainline Protestantism, so think, think in terms of the traditional old mainline denominations, Episcopalians, Presbyterian Church USA, United Church of Christ. I mean, they're hemorrhaging. They're hemorrhaging. But evangelicals are staying about the same. Pentecostals have actually grown some. And so all these breathless reports that all like ninety four percent of evangelical youth drop out of church after high school and never to return that's totally not true. Hmm. matter of fact, there's a study um that'll probably be out by the time this this is released but but it's it's it, it's not out yet. Uh, I have an early copy but according to longitudinal research over decades scholars at a USC and an Oxford University press, evangelicals are a group that actually sustains generational faith from one to the other. They list Mormons and Jews and, and evangelicals, and uh, and really people who have no faith tend to pass on that, but they're one of the higher groups. You know, we hear all these breathless statistics. So what I'd say is, yeah, I get the church isn't perfect, right? She's supposed to be this beautiful bride of Christ, and she looks too much like Shrek. <laughs> and I, and I, I get that. But you can't love Jesus and hate his wife. And you shouldn't make up bad things against the bride of Christ. I think ultimately, we need to love the church and then make the church better because yeah. of our involvement in it. What could the church be doing better? Well, I think, I think lots of things. I think one of the things is, is it could be more intentionally focused on the mission. That's a big passion of mine. Mm-hmm. John twenty twenty one, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so I think a lot of times the church acts arrived rather than living sent. And my hope and my heart and my desire is to is to really see churches live on mission. And where they, where they engage in Jesus' mission, and they say, we're going to join Jesus in that mission, and they're known for showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And I think that's a key phrase. And again, I know it's pithy, I know it has, starts with the first letter, mm-hmm. but if we just were Driven by showing and sharing the love of Jesus, I think the church will be a much different institution, and I think ultimately the world will be a much different place. Doesn't matter if you're big church, middle church, small church. No, no. You know, God, God used the mega church in Korea, and He's using the house church in China. I think we should hold our models loosely and our Jesus firmly. I think it's more about joining Jesus in His mission. I I'm not against the large church. You know, we're 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 here doing an interview after you and I both attended a mega church, mm-hmm. but my church meets in a movie theater and it has just a couple, three of three hundred or. So people, um, there are house churches that are meeting in Long Beach and Austin, Texas that are sharing the good news of the gospel. Again, I'm not so much about the container that I am worried about what it contains. Yeah,
1: well, I know you're at the end of a long trip, a ministry trip, and you've spoken several times today, and you've got a couple of more uh, uh, presentations to make before the day is over. But you've got to be convinced you've got the best job in the world, Ed. Uh, do you really think that? I do. I do love what I do
0: because I love the church. Again, I get to. Hebrews 10 24, I get to provoke it to love and good deeds. You know, but but here, the other thing for me is it's it's twofold. I get to do that, and that's why I love working at Lifeway, and, you know, and the resources we provide to help churches are just amazing. And, the, you know, the Christian colleagues I work with. But I think right now we're in a season when churches are saying, what are we going to do differently? It's a good time to be serving the Lord, and I'm excited to do it with partners like you and
1: others. If you'd like to learn more about our guest today, Ed Stetzer, you can do that at firstpersoninterview.com. We'll have a link posted there, which will take you to Ed's website and give you the information you're looking for after hearing today's conversation. This interview is just one of scores that have been placed in our online audio archive. Over the past few years, we've talked with people from all walks of life who profess faith in Christ and have a story to tell of his leading in their lives. You can listen to past programs in one of two ways. First, you can stream any past interview right from our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the Listen button. Second, you can subscribe to the First Person podcast on iTunes. There's no cost involved. Just search for First Person with Wayne Shepard in the iTunes podcast directory. Next week, you'll meet businessman Jim Jans and learn his life purpose. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll see you next week for First Person.